0: The following message was given by Demetrius White on Sunday, August 19th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. I'm glad to be with you. I'm delighted to be with you. I'm happy to see you this morning. It's been a long time since I've been up, since I've been in the pulpit, so uh, pray for me as I go through this morning. Uh, As many of you know, if you've been accustomed to coming to Redemption Hill, you know that we've been in a series called the Mixtape. Now, I don't have an elaborate story for you. I didn't create mixtapes and all of that jazz, so I'm sorry to disappoint you there. But what we've been trying to do, or what we've been trying to convey as pastors, as we've been trying to give you an inside look into our lives and how God has been working through His Word or particular themes in the Word. Uh, and how he has changed us through those themes. And today I want to talk to you about how uh, 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17 has really made an impact upon my life. Its truth has really changed me, and I want to talk to you today about that. Okay? If you would turn there, and while you're turning there, I'll pray for us. Father, I come to you in the name of your mighty Son, Jesus Christ. In and of myself, I'm insufficient for such a task. We as a congregation, we're insufficient to grasp these truths. We need your spirit to paint the truth of the Word of God that we're going to hear today upon the canvas of our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would open up ears today, open up eyes to see your glory and Majesty In the name of your Son Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Second Timothy 3:15 through 17. Paul is talking to his disciple, Timothy and pastor of the Ephesian Church. He says, "And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The scriptures we have before us have had a tremendous impact upon my life. Walk in spiritual growth. And today, I want to chat with you about how I went from being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine into becoming a Sola Scriptura guy. Sola Scriptura was the battle cry of the Reformation. And it simply means Scripture alone. As I engaged the Scriptures, as I began to read the Scriptures, these verses taught me three things. That the Word of God brings light, provides correction, and gives us direction. It provides light concerning its origin. The Scriptures are breathed out by God, who is the source of all truth. And God, having breathed out His Scripture, provides us with gracious correction. God shows us our errors, not because He's mean, but He wants to expose them to deal with our sin and our errors through the Word of God. After he corrects us, he does not leave us there. He brings us or he gives us direction. The Scriptures, as we found out in this text, trains us in the way of righteousness. The Scriptures cry out to us that the gate is narrow and the way is narrow that leads to life. And he ultimately points us towards Jesus Christ in all of His glory, and all of His majesty." If I could sum these verses up today, if I could give you a central proposition here today, this morning, I would say that these verses are telling us as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, they are telling us that the Scripture alone is enough. You see, you don't need visions. You don't need dreams. You don't need fleeces or impressions or liver shivers. What you and I need is the Word of God alone. And not believing this will have have a tremendous impact on your life. It'll lead you down a road of deception, blindness, and possibly damnation. I got a firsthand witness of this a few weeks ago. I had an opportunity to go and hang out with some of my friends in Baltimore. We do it uh, maybe once or twice a year and had an opportunity to go up there and hang out with them. And we had a time of camaraderie and fellowship and time of great food and conversation. And when it was all said and done, I, I decided to go outside and catch some fresh air, just get a breather, just a bunch of guys, you know, people burping and all of that stuff like that. you know, you know, just. You just want to get away from it all sometime. So I went outside, and one guy followed me outside, and he said, "D, I know that you're a pastor. He said, "I want to talk to you." He said, "My marriage is on the rocks." He said, "My wife and I were arguing every day. He said, "We're at each other's throats, and I tell you what man I've been crying out to God." I've been fighting. I've been pleading. I've been crying. I've been, I mean, I want God to show me something. I want him to speak to me. I want him to give me a sign. I want him to just tell me what to do. I call him Cap. I said, Cap, I said, I have great news for you today. I said, God is speaking. And he perked up. And I said, you know what? He has spoken to me about your marriage. And man, he was really on a rope stand, man. I mean, he was was ready to go. You know what I'm saying? All right, God speak, I knew I got a pastor here. He's gonna tell me the word of God. I said, let me open up my Bible to Ephesians chapter five. I went through Ephesians chapter five with him and I talked to him about the spirit-filled life and how that is to impact the Christian marriage. I told him that marriage was a role play between the husband and the wife to the world to show them Christ's relationship to his church. I told him, or I asked him, do you know who the church is? I said, it's a gathering of people who have come out of the world from under the jurisdiction of Satan, who are slaves of sin, who were God-haters. And those are the people that God saved to become his bride. And now you are to go and love your wife as Christ loves the church. He had nothing else to say. And I said, sir, this is what God is saying this morning about your marriage. He is speaking from his word. Is that you this morning? Do you say, I wish God would just speak to me. I wish he would show me a sign. Have you ever wanted to know God's will for your life? I'm gonna tell you the same thing I told Cap. You're in good luck. You have it right here in this book. My goal this morning is to give you five reasons as to why you should commit yourself to the word of God alone. I want to show you how the Word of God has changed me personally. This morning, I want to be transparent. I really do want to show you how I've gone from A to Z. And I pray that you're encouraged this morning. I really do pray that you're encouraged to the point that you that you would commit yourself to the Word of God. You know, Sunday after Sunday, in the pulpits of America and in the world, God is being proclaimed. But oftentimes, it's the wrong God. And as I begin to engage the scriptures, one of the things that God relayed to me was the truth concerning himself. Was the truth concerning himself. The word of God, number one, introduces us to the true and living God, giving us light concerning his nature. Daniel 11.32 says, the people who know their God shall be strong. The people who know their God shall be strong. Many historians and theologians and scholars believe that this is talking about the Maccabean revolt. The Maccabees, saw one of the most atrocious things happen to the temple of God. They saw Antiochus Epiphanes, they called him Epimenes, the madman, go into the temple and sacrifice a pig on the altar. And it drove them mad. Why? Because that temple, according to the word of God, belonged to God. And they became strong regardless of their limited numbers, they became strong through their understanding of what the scripture said about the temple that they overcame, Antiochus, Epiphanes. You see, knowing God brings a certain type of strength and stability into the lives of God's people. I'm not saying that life is going to be easy. I'm not gonna promise that. But what I'm saying is when you know God and when the storms of life begin to blow, you will be strong enough to withstand because you stand upon the foundation of a holy, powerful God. Many of you don't know me personally. You don't know my struggles. You don't know where I've come from. Growing up in King George County, Virginia, I did not I absolutely did not enjoy anything about religion. Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, Christian, I don't care what it was, Buddhism, I didn't want to have anything to do with religion. a matter of fact, when I go home and people see my family and how God has blessed me, they say, I can't believe it because I did not. I do you hear me? I did not want to have anything to do with God. My brother and I we were dragged to church every Sunday. My mom who is a nurse, she would have to work sometimes on Sunday. And she made sure and she would call somebody at the church to make sure that my brother and I were in the church. And if we couldn't get a ride, we had to walk to church. But we were going to be in church. And if my mom went to church that Sunday, she would turn on the radio. Every Sunday, gospel music. And every Sunday, they played this song. The DJ, without fail, played this song by the Mighty Clouds of Joy. Now, if you like the Mighty Clouds of Joy, I don't want to offend you this morning, okay? I mean, I don't have anything against the mighty clouds of joy, okay? So don't, be, don't email me, <laughs> okay? But it was called Walk Around Heaven All Day. And R.C. Sproul says that everyone's a theologian, everyone. Everyone has an idea about God or heaven or eschatology. And I would hear that song, and in my young mind... I couldn't get over the thought of walking around heaven all day. Have you ever thought about that? Just think about that. Walking around heaven all day. And then he would go on to say, Sabbath day would have no end. Now, as a young child, I often heard Sabbath was the day you go to church. So not only was I going to be walking around all day, but I was going to be in church all day, and I was going to be walking around in church all day. I was not even going to have the luxury to sit down like you guys. I didn't want any parts of that. No, if this is heaven, I don't want to have anything to do with God. My grandfather tried. My aunts and uncles tried. They wanted me to go to church. They wanted me to get saved. I mean, they pleaded with me. I would have none of it. And I took my grandfather, I stopped going to church when I was a teenager, and I took my grandfather up on it. I said, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to church with you. Man, you keep telling me to go to church. I'm going to go to church with you this this week. So they had a midweek service. I went to church. My grandfather's a deacon. He's sitting up there. They had a deacon's bench, and he would sit there and look at you. You know what I'm saying? So you couldn't do anything wrong. But, man, I really did get a kick out of going to church because the church that that my grandfather went to, you had a woman that would run around the church. You had another one that would cry when she would give a testimony. I mean, it was hilarious. (laughs) But on that night, a young man stood in that pulpit, and he talked to me. My brother sitting to the right of me, my cousin sitting to the left of me, they were laughing, I was zoned in. Sovereign grace had got a hold of me. And God told me that night through his spirit, you're a sinner, you are going to hell. through that minister who was faithful to preach the gospel. And that night I remember going home. I remember going into, went straight to my bedroom. My mom's like, what is wrong with you? I went straight to the bedroom and I cried out to God, will you please save me? You have to do something with me, man. I cannot do this, God. You must do something with me, save me. And on that night, the initial seeds of redemption were sown. After that, I joined a Baptist church. And you know what they did? They didn't lead me to the Word of God. They told me that if I wanted to grow spiritually, I had to read the Daily Bread devotional. I'm gonna give a little disclaimer here. Please do not email me if you read the Daily Bread devotional, okay? I have nothing against the Daily Bread devotional, okay? If you want to grow, you have to read the Daily Bread devotional, and you have to read your Sunday quarterly, and you have to come to Sunday school. If you're going to grow and you're going to see Christ's work in your life, then you're going to have to come to church, spend hours in church, and hear this guy bellow over the pulpit. And then when someone asks you, what did he say? I don't know what he just said. After that, I left home. I went to school. And believe it or not, I ended up going to, getting into a holiness Pentecostal church. I was invited to go to a holy, holiness Pentecostal church. I'm a young guy. You know, I know I'm supposed to be in church. So I went to this holiness Pentecostal church. And they valued experience and feelings and goosebumps over the word of God. And, man, I began to be tossed and fro, uh, to and fro everywhere during this point in my life. They value personal revelation. And if you were lucky enough, a prophet would speak to you. Can you believe that? From there, I moved into what I will call neo Pentecostalism. And they skewed the lines between who was sovereign man sovereign, God sovereign, the devil sovereign. Man had the keys. If you spoke positive words, then God would move. And if you, speak, if, if you spoke something negative, the devil would move. I'm going to tell you, I, I was all over the place. Because we played fast and loose with God's word during that time. And this was, a, this was the darkest time of my spiritual walk with Christ. The darkest I remember saying in prayer to God, is this it? I cannot take this anymore. It was like trying to live off of candy. It was like someone telling you that this lump of candy is a sirloin steak. I wasn't filled. Is this enough, God? And as I often say here at Redemption Hill, God used a crooked stick to draw a straight line in my life to himself. Because the pastor of that church would always get up Sunday after Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, and he would encourage you to read your Bible. That was a bad thing, man, for him. Because you know why? I read my Bible. Boy, did I read the Bible. If I could read it in the shower, I read it in the shower. If I could read it, hey, don't, don't judge me. If I could read it driving, I would read it driving. I even got one of those, what is it, Alexander Scorby Rob, Robert, the, 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 the CDs, and I would listen to the Word of God when I was going to work. I listened to the Word of God. I read the Word of God. I devoured the Word of God. And I tell you, what I found out about God in these scriptures, this this book, destroyed me, killed me. And I remember walking around the house with a blanket over my head, crying. Wife saying, what is wrong with you, man? Man. And I would walk around and I would say, nobody has shown me this God, this mighty God, this awesome God, and he's speaking to me through his word. How can you not be undone? That was my Isaiah moment. That was like Paul being knocked off the beast. That was that moment for me because I saw God through his word. I didn't see him through a vision. I didn't see him through a dream. An angel didn't come into the room and tell me, hey, this is who God is. I'm going to show you who God is. I saw him through the word. Scripture introduced me to God. And if you're going to be introduced to the proper God, if you're going to know him in his truth, how he acts, how he loves, how he hates, you are going to have to see him through the word. The Word gives us a big vision of God, and sometimes a very shocking vision. The Word of God tells us that God is loving, 1 John 4. It tells us that He hates iniquity. Hebrews 1:9 says that God loves righteousness and hates iniquity. Scriptures tell us that God is compassionate. It also tells us that He's absolutely sovereign. The God of Scripture is omnipresent, therefore He will never leave you nor forsake you. The scriptures tell us that God is omnipo- omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Power- and contrary to popular belief, Donald Trump, Obama, Putin, Kim Jong-un, those guys aren't powerful. Psalm 62, 11, God has spoken once, twice have I heard this. Power belongs to God, not those guys. And not to some antichrist that is going to come on the scene. God has all power in his hand, and he moves nations and kings to suit his will. And I need to know a God like that. I need an all powerful God. In a world like this that is falling apart morally and physically, I need something to hold on to, and it must be a powerful God. He is immutable. He is unchanging. Let me ask you a question. Do you know this God? Maybe you've imagined a a certain type of God. Maybe you've reformed God to fit your social context. Maybe you said, hey, I want to be winsome. I hear that a lot here at Redemption Hill, and I'm I'm not condemning you for that. But I hear people say, I want to be winsome, Pastor D. You can be so winsome that you win nothing. I'm going to say this again. You can be so winsome and so appealing and attractive that you win nothing. And you could lose it all. And you could be responsible for the damnation of someone else's soul all because you're trying to be winsome. Listen, I agree that you should be patient and kind when it comes to giving a defense of your beliefs in Christ. I do not believe that you are to be rude but we are never supposed to compromise the truth of God's word in Scripture at the expense of being winsome to this culture that is in the lap. 1 John 5:19. you don't believe me, read it. To this culture that lies in the lap of Satan. You're never supposed to compromise the word of God for that. Because if you try to win the world with the world, the world's going to win you. Mark that down. If you try to win the world with the world, the world's going to always win you. This matters. Knowing God, a loving God will quench your doubts about the security of his love because once he has set his love upon you, he's unchangeable. He's immutable. He will never change his loving attitude towards you. Knowing that he is sovereign will move you to pray for impossible situations. Some of you have kids that are wayward. They don't even look like they want to come. They don't want to, they were like me, they don't even want to have anything to do with Christ. Did you know that God's sovereign? Did you know Proverbs 21.1 says that he is, he, his, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wheresoever he wills, boy. Huh? Did you know that? Did you know that he is powerful enough that uh, Psalm 22:28 says that he is the king of the nations? That's the God you serve. But you will not know him if you do not get into this book. And I did not know him until I really got into this book. There are people in this room this morning. You are condemning yourself because of what you've done in the past. You're in Christ, but you're trying to, you, you, you're, you're trying to earn your salvation. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do this. And you're trying to earn your way with God. Stop! There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. God says that in His Word, and you must take root in it. If you're not worshiping the God of Scripture... The God you're serving, he's not worthy of your worship. He's not worthy of your worship. Dear saints, by reading the scripture, by engaging the scripture, I came into contact with the living God. And you will too when you commit to it. Number two, scripture gives us clarity concerning the will of God. Ephesians 5.17, therefore do not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Our text says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Notice he didn't say that some scripture is profitable, or certain books are profitable, or favorite verses are profitable. But he says, What? All scripture. It's profitable. What? For teaching, for the impartation of knowledge, for reproof, to point out our faults. The great Baptist theologian John Gill says, The whole, whole Scripture is a light shining in a dark place, a lamp or a torch to be carried in the hand of a believer while he passes through this dark world and, is in it, and that, that is in its present state of imperfection, in which he sees things but darkly. This is a standard of faith and practice. By the light of this lamp, the difference between true and false doctrine may be discerned. Timothy tells us that, or Paul tells us, that it is profitable for correction. How can you know when you're in error when you're not in the Word of God? You know, last year, last school year, I got a call from my wife. I'm not going to name this child's name, but they're energetic, okay? i am just put it that way. They, they, they're all over the place. Great kid, love him, everyone loves him. He, he's friends with everybody, but I got a call. D, such and such acted out in class today. What did he do? Oh, he just wouldn't be quiet. He just wouldn't be quiet. He, 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 he just wanted to make everyone laugh. And, you know, I can't believe because I was kind of like that in school, you know. But um, Stephanie always tells me he's just like you, man. He, he jokes around just like you. So, I was just, I don't know, it just came on me. I, I, I was just furious, man. I, I was hot. And, man, I was driving down 64 East like a house of fire, man. I was, I was like, man, I'm going to deal with this guy, man. You know, this guy, I tell you, you know. He, you know. And, man, I, I got in the house, and, you know, you have to do it. If, you, if you're there, you have to do it like this. Well, don't do it like this because it was the wrong thing to do. But I, op- I opened up the door, you know. Whoom, the door came open in the front, you know. I made sure that he heard that when I put the key in the door. I stuck the key. Whip. Whoom, door opened up. And I gave that slow death march up the step, you know, that boom, boom, boom. And I came in the room. I was looking like the Grim Reaper when he saw me. And, man, it was like the wrath of D came out. And I felt good for a minute. I went in the room, said, man, I got that taken care of. You know, I was patting myself on the back. D did a good job, you know. And you know what happened? The Scriptures came. Raise up, well, say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I was broken. I went back into his room, and I said, son, I've sinned. And the way that I disciplined you, I sinned. It wasn't God glorifying. I've sinned against God. Do you understand that? And I sinned against you. Can you forgive me? And he said, yes, dad. And we got on our knees and we prayed together. You see, the scriptures, when you engage them, they begin to speak to your heart. How do you know God's will? By digging into his word. The Holy Spirit brings the truth of God's word to bear upon our hearts that we may walk in the right direction. That's how much God loves you. Number three, the word of God gives us a comprehensive worldview. What is a worldview? It's a conception or apprehension of the world, especially from a specific standpoint. Atheists have a worldview, Buddhists have a worldview, Mormons have a worldview, gang members have a worldview. Your grandmother that bakes her cookies on Sunday morning, she has a worldview. Everyone has their worldview. Okay? A Christian worldview then is a comprehensive co- conception of the world from the scripture that is formulated by scripture. An individual's worldview is his big picture. And everyone, like I said earlier, everyone, everyone has a worldview. And every worldview, whether it's a Christian or non-Christian, deals with at least three questions. Number one, it deals with this first question, where did we come from and why are we here? The Christian worldview says that God created us. You know, when an atheist is talking to me about, well, you know, we, 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 shouldn't, we shouldn't kill people, why? Why? If we go from the goo to you, why, why, why is that wrong? If I go from fish to philosopher, why is it wrong for me to kill someone? Why is it wrong? Why, why don't we eat babies? Why do we, love our, why do we love our enemies? We love them because the Word of God tells us. It's a source of all morality. We were created by God, and when someone argues like that, they're stealing from your worldview. Because they don't have anything to stand on. You can't know anything without the knowledge of this book. Where did we come from? And why were we created? Colossians 1:16 says this through him, for through him. God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and, listen, for him. Right. You know why you were created? For him. You don't need to read Jonathan Edwards, the end for for which God created all things. You don't need to read it. It's right here. It's right here in, in, in Colossians. 16 through 17, you were created. This is why God created everything. He created the universe. He created the planets. He created you for his son. What's wrong with the world? Romans 5:12. when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone and everyone sinned. Man became a, sl- a slave of sin, John eight thirty four. He became a slave of Satan, Ephesians 1, 2, 1 through 2. Uh, and his heart became desperately wicked above all things. His sin was so pervasive that it affected the natural order of things. It says in Romans 8, 20, against its will, because of sin, all of creation was subjected to God's curse. The Scriptures give us or they give us a comprehensive worldview. You know, one of my my best friends called me one day, and he said, Demetrius, how am I as a black man going to raise my son in this type of environment? As a pastor, I'm thinking, this guy's worldview is off. worldviews off. How am I as a black man going to raise a young black boy in this world? This is when all of this stuff was going on, the riots and people getting shot and all that. How am I going to do that, D? I want to know from your perspective. I said, you want me to tell you how you raise your son? Same way I do mine. Tell him that men are desperately wicked above all things Tell them that they're dead in trespasses and sins. Tell them that they want to do the lust of their father, Satan, John 8, 44. And tell them that without the good news of the gospel, without repentance, they will die and go to hell because they do not love. That's what you tell your son. You tell him the truth, not a truth. That's why men are racist. They're lost. You come to church and you're racist. 1 John 3.15 says, if you do not love your brother, you do not know God. That's what you tell them. Number four, the word of God. You're going to like this one. The word of God keeps us from being deceived, listen to this, snookered or bamboozled. Huh? <laughs> you liked that, didn't you? Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God provides illumination to us that we will walk, that we would walk without stumbling. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3:15, he says, That the Scriptures made him wise for salvation. Notice, wise for salvation. Scripture alone leads us to the knowledge of truth. And it will keep you from being deceived. Now, I told you I was going to a neo-Pentecostal church years ago where they skewed the lines between God's sovereignty and man's sovereignty and who was in power and so on and so forth. I had began to read the Word of God, and man, every Sunday, man, every Sunday, I was sitting in the congregation. I was like, that's not true. That's not what the Word says. My wife was like, you are going to drive me crazy. And the pastor got up one Sunday, and he said, you know, God can't do anything in the earth realm without man giving him permission. Oh, Lord, I just started to melt. Oh, man, I, I mean, my skin was crawling. I mean, I could not believe he just said, I cannot believe this. You know, I was like Stephen A. Smith. That's blasphemous, you know, <laughs> blasphemous, you know. I was going crazy. I mean, you know, Psalm 135.6 says that God does whatsoever he pleases. So, you know, at the end of the service, you know, uh, well, let me go back. He, he said that we had to give God permission to stop Hurricane Katrina. Now, that was just absurd. So at the end of the service, you, you had an opportunity to meet this high-profile pastor that pastored a 5,000-member church. So you had to wait in this line, and boy, I waited in that line. <laughs> And I was fuming. I mean, you could see steam coming off the top of my head. I got to him. And he had his bodyguards around him. And I was gracious. Believe it or not, I was gracious. I said, Pastor, I said, come on, man. You my pastor, right? I'm not trying to be rude. But I, I, man, I'm reading the Bible. And I read, you know, I'm reading the book of Daniel. And God seemed pretty sovereign to me. I mean, he's moving kings. He's he telling, I'm going to bring in the prince of Grisha. I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to get this guy out of here. And then he says, you know, he takes Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, and he makes him eat grass. I mean, what? 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 I don't get it. What am I missing? Daniel 4.35, God does whatsoever he wills in the armies of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of men. Who can stay his hand or look to God and say, what are you doing? You got to help me, pastor. Huh? I knew what I was doing. Y'all knew it. (laughs) You got to help me. And he did this. I, I tell you, ask my wife. He did this to me. He put his hand on my shoulder and he did this and he walked off. And that's when I knew we got to get out of here. This man doesn't know the scripture. He couldn't fight himself out of a wet paper bag theologically. So the scriptures will keep you from being bamboozled or deceived. Last thing, the Word of God shows us. The glory of Jesus Christ and our need for him. The scripture are, scriptures are about Jesus Christ. It's not about you. I mean, I know that hurts, man. That hurts us sometimes. Doesn't it? it's not, the scriptures, not, they're not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. Okay, 2 Timothy 3.15. You know, Paul says the scriptures made Timothy wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Scriptures are pointing to. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, he expounded the Scriptures to them, and he showed them everything in the Scriptures concerning himself. The Spirit uses the Scriptures to exalt Jesus Christ. The Spirit will show you the sufficiency of Christ, the glory of Christ, the compassion of Christ. The scriptures will show you that even, read the book of Hebrews, even in heaven, Christ's heart goes out to you. And you can't see, you cannot see that unless it's through scripture. In Genesis, Jesus is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest and perfect sacrifice. In Numbers, he's the pillar of a cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and 2 Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our faithless, sinless, and reigning king. In Ezra, he's the rebuilder of a broken wall. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In, Psalms, in the Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Jesus Christ is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is a consuming fire. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in life's fiery trials and the king of the nations. In Hosea, he is a faithful husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is a messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist, crying, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he is a fountain open up in the house of David for sin and uncleanness and malachi he is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings and matthew he is the king of the jews and mark he is a servant and luke he is the son of man feeling what you feel and john he is the son of god and acts he is the savior of the world and romans he is our righteousness and in first corinthians he is the rock that followed israel and second corinthians he is the triumphant one giving victory and galatians he is your liberty in Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he is your completeness. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is your hope. In First Timothy, he is your faith. In Second Timothy, he is your stability. In Philemon, he is your benefactor. In Titus, he is truth. In Hebrews, he is your perfection and James he is your he is the power behind your faith and 1st Peter he is your example and 2nd Peter he is your purity and 1st John he is your life and 2nd John he is your pattern and 3rd John he is your motivation and Jude he is your founda- the foundation of your faith and revelation he is your coming king all of there you go all of scripture points to Jesus. How can you know God? How can you stand not being deceived? How can you know Jesus? How can you be protected from the worldviews of Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre without knowing this book? In a few moments, we're gonna have a few people come They're gonna distribute the elements of communion, and we're going to celebrate God's sending of his word. Psalm 107.20 says that God sent his word to deliver them from all of their destructions. I pray this morning that the word of God would take root in your heart, and that you would pick it up and read it. Father God, we come to you In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your saints, that you would build them up, and that the Spirit would do a marvelous work in the hearts of your people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Demetrius White, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.